Our sermon passage today will be in Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads, and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Amen. You may be seated. As you take your seat, let's pray together. Father in heaven, in the name of Jesus, we come before you. In the name of Jesus, we open your word. In the name of Jesus, we ask that you would speak to us. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to hear your word, to receive its truth. To believe it as true. And we pray that we would be changed by it. We pray that you would fill us with a true faith that pleases you. We pray you would make our hearts renewed and restored to follow you and love you and serve you and walk in your ways. But we know that it is very intentional that Jesus spoke this parable. We know it was very intentional that it was preserved and recorded for us here. So we're praying that you would do something powerful through this passage. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you haven't done so already, please take your Bible. And turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 22, where Emmy just read for us. We are studying Matthew's gospel. And in studying Matthew's gospel, the the, the purpose of Matthew is to clearly tell who Jesus is, what Jesus said, and what Jesus did. And we want to... Follow Matthew in giving a clear presentation of what Jesus said and did. What Jesus said about himself and revealed about himself. Now, we are in Matthew 22. We're, we're chronologically in the telling of the last week of Jesus' earthly life and earthly ministry. And here's why... It's important to know that we're in the last week of Jesus' earthly life and earthly ministry. 
Because throughout his life and ministry, he kind of revealed things a little bit here and a little bit there. He revealed things in parables. He would do miracles. Then he would say, but don't go tell anybody because my time has not yet come. But we're at the time. And what you see in this passage is Jesus is no longer speaking vaguely about anything. Like, if you just like, give me just the facts, give them to me straight, don't worry about how I feel, well, Matthew 22 is for you. Because Jesus is very clearly stating and confronting the religious leaders of the Jews in this day. And ultimately, what Jesus is saying is this. Hey, religious leaders, your assumptions about God and his kingdom and who are the true people of God, they're wrong. Your assumptions about God and his kingdom and who are truly his people, they're wrong. And I'm going to tell you a story, which is now one of several in a row. I'm going to tell you a story to confront your misunderstanding. Now, if you're reading this story, it's a bit absurd. You know, like, hey, kids gather around. I'm going to tell you a story about a king who threw a wedding feast, and the guests wouldn't come, so he killed them. And he invited all the unexpected people, and then one of them didn't clean up for the affair, so he kicked him out. Like, it's a bit absurd, isn't it? Like, who does this king think he is? Well, the absurdity is the point. Like, like, like hear that very clearly. The absurdity is the point. Like, Jesus is telling a story to the religious leaders to shock their system, to arrest their attention, to call them to their senses. So maybe that's what the Lord needs to do for us today is shock our system a little bit, call us to attention, shake our senses. Ultimately, what Jesus is saying in this parable is to the religious leaders of the Jews of the day, the people of God and the true celebrants of the feast are those whom the Lord invites, but those invitations are far more broad than you would ever imagine. And the narrowness of their understanding is part of the problem. So, with that in mind, we've named this sermon The Unexpected. And so if you want to take notes this morning, the first point is the kingdom. So let's look at verse 1 and 2 here. If you love your sermons to be deeply intellectual and mind-bending, this point might disappoint you, okay? I have no problem with deeply intellectual and mind-bending, but sometimes... The key truth is just very clear. And so let's grasp our minds around that one first. We'll look at verse 1. Jesus 
spoke to them in parables. Them, these are the religious leaders, the chief priests, the Pharisees, the scribes. Jesus spoke to them in parables. So a parable is a story that has a a true meaning to it. So the story that Jesus is telling is not a real story, but it's intended to communicate real spiritual realities to the hearers. And Jesus doesn't want them to miss the point. So notice how he begins the parable in verse 2. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Now the rest of this parable is about a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. But how does Jesus want us to hear this parable and interpret this parable? It's about the kingdom of heaven, right? I really thought you guys were going to go there with me. Uh, like, like, how does Jesus want us to hear and interpret this parable? It's about the kingdom of heaven. So before we get imaginative and creative, let's just take it as Jesus gave it. The purpose of the parable is to tell us about the kingdom of heaven. We can define the kingdom of heaven as this. The kingdom of heaven is Jesus, the true king, and his people who are redeemed by faith, carrying out his work in the world. This kingdom will last forever. So the kingdom of heaven is about Jesus and his people carrying out his work in the world, and this kingdom will last forever. So number one, Jesus tells them how to interpret the parable. It's about the kingdom. Number two, the parable is not accidental at all. The parable is not accidental at all. You have a king, a son, a wedding feast, guests celebrating the marriage of the son of the king. There's a theme running through the the understanding and the expectations of Israel that one day they would feast with the Messiah in his celebration of his kingdom. So Jesus is wanting them to think sent one. He's wanting them to think Messiah. He's wanting to convey something about the kingdom. You have a king, you have a son, you have a wedding, you have invited guests, you have second batch of invited guests. Jesus is telling the religious leaders something about the kingdom. Particularly, what's he telling them? He's telling them how the king will gather his people and use his people to carry out his work in the world. Particularly, he's telling them something about who the true people of God are. He's telling them, he's challenging their assumption about who the true people of God are. The working assumption of the day was this. The Messiah will be a king-like 
David. He will come to Jerusalem and he will physically lead Israel as his kingdom in the world. Let me say that one more time. The working assumption of the day is that that God would send his Messiah and he would be a king like David who would come physically to Jerusalem and lead physical ethnic Israel as his kingdom in the world. That was the assumption of the day. This parable is challenging the assumption. How? The assumed guests don't want to be there. The assumed guests are written off. And the kingdom is made up of all the people who weren't assumed to be welcomed at the feast. Jesus is challenging the the essence of what the kingdom is. The kingdom is not about ethnic Israel. The kingdom is about the people that God redeems through the Messiah. He's, He's... Letting them know, I'm telling you a parable about the kingdom, and it's intended to challenge you. So it's going to challenge in a couple ways. It's going to challenge in who's ultimately invited. It's going to challenge in how the expected invites respond, and it's going to challenge, it's going to challenge the purpose of the parable is to challenge. That pushes us to the second point. Oh, hold on. Before we go to the second point, I've been, like, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you're probably like, man, I really feel like you said a lot of this last week. We did. And the week before, we did. And next week, we will. Here's the reason. I'm not trying to be funny. Jesus is teaching, is telling, is confronting on multiple layers in multiple different ways to ensure that the point is made. And I just believe that it would be better for us to slow down and go through these in the repetition than to try to lump them all together into one and be like, Here's the point. Everybody got it? Ready? Break. Right? So, we're, so we are. We're, we're wading through. So let me say something to you I've said for multiple weeks. When Jesus is challenging the leaders of the Jewish people in his day, there's a particular n- nature to the challenge that was for them. Yet, there's a secondary challenge that flows to religious people in all spaces and all times. So as we listen to this, let's let the Spirit of the Lord challenge us and not just be like, that's right, you tell them, Jesus. Because he might be telling us, too. It's always a little more uncomfortable, isn't it? Second point, the unexpected invitation. So Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast 
for his son. He sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. Now, just a little cultural thing. Apparently, the way this played out was very similar to how we do weddings. You invite people, and they don't respond. But it was noted that you invited. So then you invite a second time, and you say, I really need to know, are you coming? It's kind of this part. And then they have a third thing that maybe we should institute, which is, you know, you send out a text blast and say, everything's ready. You need to be here now. Okay? So... So that's what's playing out here. Um, He sent his servants to say, it's time for the feast. And they would not come. So notice, the invited guests don't come. Verse 4, again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. Here we are again. But they paid no attention and went off one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. So what we're being told is, The long-awaited wedding feast has come. I mean, this just isn't some random wedding. It's the king's son. Any servant of the king would be honored to be invited to the wedding feast of the son. And they're disinterested. They're noncommittal. They're pursuing other things. Some of them go further. They just kill the servants. So let's just pause before we keep reading. Jesus says, I'm telling you a parable about the kingdom. The son is here. The wedding feast of the son is here. It's time for the feast in the parable. And the invitees are disinterested, distracted, focused on day-to-day stuff. And they kill the servants and the messengers who are announcing the son's wedding feast. Who on earth could Jesus be directing this message at? It's really not up for debate. This is not a philosophical conundrum. He's talking to Israel. He's saying the king sent his messengers to announce his son, and you are not interested. Some of you even kill the messengers. Some of you have no interest in the announcements that are being made. Then verse 7, the king was angry, sent his troops, and destroyed the murderers and burned their cities. So those who rejected and destroyed were rejected and destroyed. Verse 8, then he said 
to his servants. The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. If you want to mark in your Bible, this is the passage, this is the verse to mark here. The feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying your response to the invitation is a physical manifestation of your unworthiness to belong to the king. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. The passage ends, or or this part of the passage ends with the wedding hall being filled with guests. The king is having his banquet. The son's wedding will be celebrated. The banquet hall will be full. But full of whom? The expected guests? full of those whom are assumed to be unworthy of the king, unworthy of the son, and unworthy of the banquet hall. In the context of Jesus' confrontation with the Jewish leaders, he's saying this kingdom is far broader than you could ever imagine. The king will build his kingdom with those whom you deem acceptable and those whom you deem unacceptable because the king is using a different metric when he judges the worthiness of those whom he calls to himself. The metric's this. None of them are worthy, but the son the Messiah will make them worthy. So the purpose of this parable is to challenge the religious leader's understanding of who belongs to the kingdom. The kingdom is broader than Israel. The kingdom is broader than ethnic Jews. The king will keep all of his promises and fulfill all of his words, but he doesn't need any particular subset of the people to fill the feast. The feast will be filled with those who are devoted to him. You might be saying, like, hold on, like, where do you get all that? Like, like, ultimately, you're invited to the wedding feast of the son, but you paid no attention. You went to your farm to work. You chased other business. You seized the servants and treated them shamefully and killed them. Ultimately, these were people who thought they belonged to the king, but they had no allegiance to the king. They thought they belonged to the king, but they had no love for the king. They thought they belonged to the king, but they had no commitment to him, no celebration of the banquet that he was laying out before them. The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. 
Now, what this unexpected invitation will spiral forward into is this. Jesus, the Son, will die and will rise again to build the people of God. And it will be made up of people, as we read earlier from Revelation 5, of every nation, tribe, language, and tongue. Ethnic Jews? Absolutely. All the rest? Absolutely. The people of the kingdom are far broader than what was understood. God will keep his promises to Israel, but he doesn't need Israel to carry out the building of his kingdom. So, friends... For us today, we have to ask this question. Who are, who are the assumed guests who are disinterested? And who are the unexpected guests who find great delight in the wedding hall? Every culture and every place and every time has different answers to this question. But here in the Bible Belt, it usually plays out that whatever church you're in, those who look the most like us, act the most like us, vote the most like us, and have passions the most like us are the expected guests, and those who don't are the outsiders. We can be guilty, the church down the road can be guilty, the church on the other side of the tracks can be guilty, and the church in the northeast can be like, like This isn't about tearing down culture to build up a better culture. It's about understanding that we ultimately have this thing in us where we believe, where we believe that what we believe, what we do, how we practice our religion makes us better than others rather than understanding that we're part of the bad and the unexpected and what makes us unique is that God has set his love upon us. God has redeemed us. God has called us his own. This is the distinction. The unexpected invitation is intended to push wide an understanding of who belongs to the people of God. And one of the greatest pastoral mistakes in the history of my ministry, I've run out of time and will not finish the sermon. That's not uncommon, but that means that we'll come back next week and we'll spend all of our time in verses 11 through 14, which is not what I intended to do. So I will probably get the flu next Saturday and LJ will guide you through verses 11 through 14. He seems excited about that. But quickly, we'll come back to verses 11 14, but quickly, let me just give you the summary. This is where the story starts to feel really absurd, right? Like, where's your garment? Well, dude, you just invited me three minutes ago. I did my best. What this part of the story is to convey is God's broadening of who's invited 
does not lessen God's expectation of those who belong to him. Let me say that one more time, because some of you might not be back next week. God broadening the types of people that are invited does not lower God's expectation that those who are his follow him, love him, and serve him. All right? We'll talk more about that next week. But often what happens in Christian practice is we get really legalistic, where we get really small, really tight, and we say, if you do everything just like us, you're, you're good with God. And if you don't, you're a terrible person. We all have that tendency within us. Or we break the cocoon open and we swing it so wide and we say, God really has no standards. He invites everyone. Just come. But I think if we put 1 through 10 up against 11 through 14, we see that there's some truth in both of those, right? Come. I'll redeem you from all your mess. And I will make you acceptable for my kingdom. So this thing about the garment is about being made acceptable by the king. We'll talk more later. Father, would you please be our teacher and our guide? Would you help us to understand your word such that we could walk in it? Not just hear it and then like it, but walk in it. Help us, O oh God. Lord, if there's anyone in this room this morning who feels distant, separated, far off, unacceptable, we pray that they would hear the words of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is for all of us who know you and walk with you, would you help us walk? Walk in a way that we enjoy belonging to Christ. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus.